You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to another Essential Apple Podcast. Well, this week it all went a bit bonkers, didn't it? Jeff Bezos refused to be blackmailed by the National Enquirer. Apple fixed a bug and then got accused of another one. Uh, apps have been secretly recording your iPhone screen. Apple has told them to stop doing that or else. Uh, Angela is leaving. Apple are working on their own modems. And rumours have surfaced of a revised model uh, of the iPhone 7 and 8 because of the German sales ban won by Qualcomm. Uh, to talk about that and lots of other things, of course, uh, is my friend, uh, smug colleague and local uh, businessman, Mark Ellis of Suffolk Max. Hello, Mark. Hello, Simon. Uh, welcome to our show. Thank you for coming on. Um, I think be before we start... I will just uh, do the giveaways, I think, because uh, we've had the draw for the giveaways. Um, we had Ghostry on, who uh, kind of gave us some swag bags to give away. Uh, and the names out of the hat are Andy Joyce, Bob Wood, Guy Searle of the My Mac Show, uh, our very own John Nemo Nemorowski, the uh, hardware store owner, uh, James Mac Jim Ormston, Ivor Pope, Eliza, you say Pacelli and I say Pacelli, uh, and Macchiassi, Cutie Melon, and Bert Clanchard. So, uh, well done. Well done, everybody. Uh, swag bags will be on their way. Uh, one lucky listener, of course, uh, was going to be gifted a um, Working Smarter for Mac Users course from uh, Bob Levitus, and the winner of that was Dan Murphy. And the copy of the book goes to Wobbud. So, there we go. Well done, you two. Um, and if you entered and didn't win, commiserations. There we go. Uh, and, of course, I will just mention that uh, Luminar and Adora, Aurora HD from Skylum, uh, you can get an extra $10 off using the coupon code EssentialApple at the checkout. Well, now I've got that out of the way. <laughs> um... Welcome to the show, Mark. Uh, well, what we normally do, uh, as I explained before the show, is we start off by, uh, you know, asking our guests a little bit about their history and what they do. And uh, so I guess I should start off with uh, explaining what you do. So, uh, if, you know, would you like to explain to the listeners what it is you do and how you ended up doing such a thing? Thank you, Simon. How did I... Well, what did I do? What do I do now? I maintain various Macs for various people. I look after small businesses, some schools, um, private individuals. What I tend to do is to repair the Macs, sometimes down to component level, but more often than not down to board level or disk drive level when the drives go. 
We also look into helping you with software issues. This is not a programming issue. This is just this app isn't working right with that and find out what's causing it and try and sort it out. So that's my day job and that's my company. That's what I do on a daily basis. Very good. And um, to- yeah, I was going to say, and um, obviously your company is Suffolk Max. Uh, and as you say, that's what you do, computer support for uh, individuals and small businesses. Um, how long have you been doing that then, Mark? Because I know it's quite a long time. Been doing this since 2003. So definitely that's... quite a long time. Yeah, quite a long time. Yes, yes. It doesn't feel a long time, but not until you start to talk numbers. No. And then you think- <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, well, it's a bit like uh, a bit like the other week when we had uh, the Mac Mommy on and uh, we were, you know, reminiscing about the uh, early Macs. Uh, we're talking about 35 years of Macintosh and 30 years since the SE30. And then we're sort of, oh, my God, you know, where did all that time go? Yeah. It's where did all the time go and look at what we've got now. Yeah. So, um, obviously, I... You know, you didn't start, I'm pretty sure, you don't start a, a Mac support business or a computer support business um, without, you know, out of out of nothing. So um, what led you, I suppose, what led you down that path, Mark? Well, I'm going to go back a very long way. Just after we le- I left school, I managed to get myself a job at Hughes TV and Audio. There's a plug for Hughes. <laughs> don't do anything for them these days. But they are still going. Yes. They certainly are. I joined them on a five-year apprenticeship uh, as an electronics repair engineer. And by the time I got to the fifth year of the apprenticeship, of just completing that, and personal computers started to come out. And that's where my interest was going. The company's interest wasn't going that way. So I looked around a bit and found a job for another local company who I don't think exists anymore called Melodata. They were based in East Burgholt. What they did was to do third-party peripheral maintenance. So, again, it was electronics repairs, but this time it was for printers, terminals, all sorts of EDUs, and also some microcomputers. And some people out there may have heard of it. We used to deal with the Zentech from the British Library, which is a CPM-based system. So you can hear from that, my computer knowledge goes back a very, very long Way. Back into the dawn of time. <laughs> uh, it feels like it sometimes. Not quite ferrite core memory uh, period. Oh, not not quite. Punch cards. Yes, I've played around with punch cards. Yeah, yeah. We uh, yeah we had um, David Acklam on, obviously uh, a few shows back. Uh, you know who worked on the GPS system. Uh, he was talking about um, you know early early punch uh, card systems and uh, yes. Yeah, having problems with because somebody put their greasy fingers on the cards after they'd had their Kentucky Fried Chicken, um, and it was reading reading ones where there should be no ones and such like. There we go. Yes. And the other classic problem with the cards was walking around with a stack of them, dropping them, <laughs> and then having to put them back in order again. Why <laughs> the computer got slightly confused? <laughs> Just a bit. Just a bit. Be very, very careful with this stack of cards, indeed. Yeah, and it actually, now we can tie in my first exposure to Apple. And no, my first exposure was not a Mac. It was an Apple II. I think that for a lot of people, that is their, you know, their first Apple um, experience. I must admit, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't really get into um, 
the whole Apple scene until, uh, you know, the Mac was a thing. Um, about 1988, I think I started to get involved with Macs. But um, I know, you know, lots of people, the Apple II was definitely their uh, first computer. It was certainly my first. It was it wasn't my machine. It was the company's machine. But it uh, one of my jobs was to upgrade it, maintain it um, and do a little bit of basic programming on it. And it was just a little bit at the time. Mm. But that that was my introduction into Apple. Um, After that, I moved along to a company called Metier Management Systems, which unfortunately is another one that doesn't exist anymore. I was taken on there to maintain the mini computers, which they had designed in-house. And this is all based in Ipswich. So it's nice and local. Fun times, very interesting. Um, It did enable me to get across across the world, sort of things out. I had uh, a few days at Cape Canaveral one year. Basically, the mini computers were for project management systems. And there were a couple of systems out there. I was told one day, you've got a problem over there. It's your area. Here's your plane ticket. Grab your passport. Get going. (laughs) There you go. But uh, fun times. Um, Moving on from Melodata, I then went on to... uh, That was Metier. Moving on from Metier, I then went on to a small company called Kays, gained in Ipswich, and they produced an engine management test system, which was shown on Tomorrow's World years ago. Well, well, well. Unfortunately, I don't think that exists either. So I'm leaving quite a trail of destruction behind me. (laughs) Yeah, let's let's hope that's purely purely coincidental, Mark. I hope it is. If not, this business of mine's going destructive soon. (laughs) Because it's way beyond the time it should have done that. (laughs) But yeah, that was engine management systems. Um, Travelled across Europe installing those and got involved with companies like Chrysler. Uh, moved on from there to a company called Planning Sciences, who we used to jokingly call Plumbing Services. The, <laughs> phone, the, the reason for that is the phone number we had was close, closely related with a plumbing services company, and we did get phone calls asking to sort the plumbing out. <laughs> uh, but that was when I came back into the Mac again, and that's when we ca- came into the Mac itself rather than Apple, as they produced a piece of software which was a business prediction system and it was multi-platform. So we wrote the programs. I I did seven years programming there and we wrote programs to go on PCs, various Unix systems, Linux, and of course, Apple Macs in their various guises. Um, And that started with a Mac plus, would you believe? Mm. Very nice. Um, got involved with all sorts of different projects there my programming expertise was the low level stuff it was to do with uh, backing up and communications that sort of thing I never got involved with the top end and the the GUI it was never something my head worked around my head is still always was and always will be in the hardware engineering engineering that that's what I like yes yes I look at the front ends I look at the games writers and go I haven't got a prayer. I have no idea how they do that. <laughs> no, exactly. I look at it. I look at stuff like that and I go, where would you even start? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Give, give me the low level stuff. I'll do the firmware. That's not a problem. I know how to talk to the machine, but don't ask me to talk to the user. <laughs> um, yes. And it was 
that's the point at where the company ended up changing its name because the product used to be called Gentium and Intel in their infinite wisdom decided they didn't like a product called Gentium because at the time it was too close to Pentium. Pentium. Yes. So they had a quiet word in our ear and told us to change the name. Um, As luck would have it, they didn't do the dirty. They did assist us in paying for all of the name changes. So the product went from being called Gentium to Gentia. Um, as there's no way you could change it too much, otherwise clients start to wonder what's going on. But it's when this company got bought out by an American company and they decided to make various people redundant, and this was back in, this was 2003, I had the choice. I could go and work for some of the big boys down in London and commute every day, or I could do something up here. So we looked around a bit and decided that a two-hour commute down there minimum, a two-hour commute back minimum, then all the delays. So let's say if you're lucky, you've got four hours travel time. If you're unlucky, it could be eight or more. And uh, just decided, I'm sure I can set my own business up. So we decided to set up uh, a repair business, specialising in Macs, but we also cover PCs because there's just so many of the darn things out there. <laughs> well, I've uh, I, I will tell the listeners I have been to Mark's workshop on various occasions, and um, getting in there is sometimes a little challenging, isn't it, Mark? As you <laughs> climb over the you know oh, yes. the the Sun Spark workstations and the Pets and the Commodores and all the other various pieces, uh, usually the wall of uh, hard drives. <laughs> yes. Yes, that wall is still there. Um, <laughs> we've added a few more bits and pieces recently. I've got a couple of Mac SE 30s that need going over. Um, they do switch on, but they're not booting. So I need to sort that out. And that and the two CXs which are hanging around. Some of those I've repaired already, but they need to go to Bletchley Park, mm. back to the museum. Yes, I remember the two CX. That was, in fact, my first Macintosh, a two CX. I had, ah. I had for a very long time. Um, several of them in in my in my shed um <laughs> still working but uh eventually it reached the point of you know nobody's ever going to want these uh two cxs oh, yes lcs um you know and eventually i with a heavy heart i took them all down to the local recycling center um, yeah one has to let go at some point yeah, otherwise, you know, I think I had about four 2CXs, a couple of uh, original G3 desktops, uh, several LCs. I did toy with the idea of making a, a coffee table out of four compact Macs and, and say, six LC boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it That'd would be... be... Quite a table. Yeah, I thought it would be quite... Um, it would be even better if the if the compact Macs could be, you know, uh, showing a screensaver. <laughs> yes, yes, it would. Four compact Macs for legs and several <laughs> several LC pizza boxes for the top. But there we go. I never a project I never actually uh, I never actually enacted. I think my wife might have um, battered me to death with a two CX if I'd actually built such a thing. You you could have been buried in two CXs, yes. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Um, Can I say one thing about just to say to anybody out there who's got an old Mac or think they've got one lurking around somewhere, the Computer Museum will always welcome them with open arms. If you've got one and you haven't seen it for a number of years, pull the case off, and if there's a battery in it, take it out. 
for the simple reason the early batteries, the early rechargeable batteries they put in, they leak and they destroy them. And there are some which are starting to get rare because there's so much battery acid, we can't do anything with them. So basically what you're saying is rather than do what I did and dispose of them, if you still have some, send them to Bletchley. Send them to Bletchley. Um, okay. we'll they put, were welcomed with open arms. We will put a link in the show notes for that, Mark. If you can uh, send me a link, we will put that in the show notes for everybody um, uh, later on. So there we go. Yes. Um, and, of course, up to, uh, moving on a little bit. So uh, that that's what you do, uh, you know. That's how you pay the bills and keep the lights on. Um, and, of course, you have been a member of the Suffolk Mac user group for... Uh, well, as long as there's been a Suffolk Mac user group, because uh, I'm pretty, pretty, much, yeah. pretty sure you were a founding member. Uh, I think ah. I I came along on um, at, well, I came along to meeting number two, not because I didn't want to go to meeting number one, but it was uh, inconvenient. I think it was at a, a difficult time and a difficult uh, place for me. But uh, so we've both been uh, going to the Mac user group, uh, you know, how long is it now? 11 years, 12 years? At least, yes, think, something like Suffolk, that. Suffolk Mac user group. Anyway, uh, which, you know, we've talked about on this show before, is a, a very active uh, Mac user group. We have, um, you know, a lot of members, 100-plus members. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, from our research, barring probably the London mug, we're possibly one of the most active mugs in the country. Um so, you know, I know, you know, we've both been done, done that for many years and... Uh, you are, of course, a popular speaker because of your depth of experience there, um, and you've been on the committee uh, for a very long time. Um, what uh, you know? What what do you think about the fact that uh, Mac user groups seem to be falling into decline? Are, are you um, are you a bit like me of the opinion that it's a, a natural you know um, event that as 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 computers and the like become everyday objects, you don't. Most people don't need a specialist group. I tend to agree that, that the problem we've got is it was very easy in, in the early days of computing when things were much more open to people. You, know, you could literally get in there and do it yourself. Um, these days, most machines have become much more of a closed box, especially when you consider things like the iPads. They are very much a closed box. There's very little you can do with them beyond just using them so yeah their computers are becoming a commodity they're they're an everyday item um most people can find what they need online quick google search or a duck duck go search other search engines are available Available, indeed (laughs) but yeah I, i think that's the problem it's so much is available where you don't need to go and talk to other people but it, and it's not just the computers it's happening with so many things but I, I think that is the main the main issue with the the groups going down is apart from a few diehards people don't need it well i i'm glad to say that um at the moment our our mac user group is going strong um uh, in a few weeks i'm having a bunch of uh, guys from the tucson mac user group will be doing a, a tucson takeover of the show um but they're much the same um, as us. They're a fairly active group, but as they say, I they would probably struggle to find a member who is under 50. Um, and I think you would probably say the same about ours, wouldn't you, Mark? Oh, I would agree with that. That That is definitely the demographic these days. It's very unusual to find 
the young person in any of our meetings. It, it's a shame, but it's the way it is. I I, I very much feel that um, that that you know that for a younger generation, you know, like Cutie Melon, uh, Bruce, like Danielle, my daughter. Uh, certainly like you know my son Joseph they've grown up with these things they're just they don't consider them any more baffling than the TV to be honest they're just there and they just I think they just accept them for what they are yeah 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 I think you've hit it on the head there that that's very much the case looking at my own kids they've, they've grown up with the stuff they very rarely need to come to me to sort anything out most of it they, they do it themselves it's like you said we grew up with the television they've grown up with computers and iPads yeah and and as you say, of course, since the the internet, the rise of the internet, I think, has also been um, a big factor because um, although our Mac user group, you know, started after the internet was a thing, but a lot of Mac user groups, of course, were established when um, there wasn't really much other way to get interaction with other, you know, be they Mac users or Linux users or whatever. You know, if you if you did something like that you know if you were an apple user or you was a linux user or whatever it was much less easy to get information now yeah. isn't it you, yeah if yes. you're if you're doing something and you've got a problem you can just go online you know with your phone if your computer's not working or whatever and you can you can search it you put it in a search engine and you'll get taken to endless forums and blogs and technical pages that will assist you but yes, yes, you know, twenty years ago, that <laughs> user groups were a very much a thing because that's how you shared information. Um, yeah, yes, you, the, the user groups were the way you did it. If you were lucky, there were magazines available. You could ask them questions there, but then you're waiting for a month or two for an answer. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, one of now one if we have to, I I do think one of the you know one of the big things that keeps the Suffolk Mac user group um, lively. As well as obviously the fact that you know a lot of effort goes into planning the meetings and getting speakers and all the rest, is the fact yes. that we have our we have our bulletin board, we have our message board. Um, yeah, and pe- people use it on a well, daily basis. There's yeah, all sorts of things go up there. Anything can be anything, and then often, um, you know, often quite well. When I say quite simple, I don't mean they're not simple if you don't know what you've done. But we we had one the other day, didn't we? Oh, I appeared to, I, I think it was, you know, I appeared to have accidentally turned on voiceover. How do I turn it off? Yes. <laughs> you know, because, oh, I must have pressed some weird key combination and I've activated it and now I don't know how to get rid of it. Um, and that's one of those things where somebody can just type in and go, oh, well, it's, uh, you know, it's command shift F5 or something and it'll go away. Yeah. Um, so, but that I think helps keep our, you know, our, our user group um, engaged. It's, and it's definitely something that keeps our numbers up. Um, not everybody goes to the meetings, but a lot of people have joined the group because of the bulletin board. Yeah. Not not because of the meetings. As some of them come to the meetings as well, which uh, I think one of the reasons we have some healthy healthy level of meetings are some of the subjects we cover. They're not always completely Mac specific. No. So we do, do sometimes pull in other people. Um, whether we keep them afterwards, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's 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 always hard to tell, isn't it? But you know, we yeah. no, I I think we, you know, uh, you know, as as Suffolk Mac user, you know, ex committee member, um, you know, I I think we we've done a good job, you know, over yeah. the years, and the Mac user group is is still, uh, you know, very interesting. We have great, you know, great people come along, um, and of course there are we have members from a wide range of 
um, industries who use, you know, from home users to, uh, you know, people who work in the media, people like yourself who work in support, uh, you know, people like me who work in graphic design. We've got musicians, we've got photographers. So that does allow us to it's... come up with a good selection of, um, you know, topics. Yeah, it does. There is a really good range of people involved in the group. Um, and I would just like to say that you were a committee meter, committee, mem committee member for a long time. And you've been a great support and done some great work for us. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, um, everybody, everybody who served on the committee basically has always, you know, put in um, plenty of effort. Some have served for longer, some for less. I mean, I, I stepped down not because it was too much effort but because i felt i'd run out of <laughs> run, out, run out of fresh things to contribute and it was time to let somebody else have a finger in the pie as it were but um no i i'm i've been very uh pleased to be a member of the mac user group for a very long time and uh yeah it's 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 great you know it really is great um yes it's it's a pity that you know all of our members are basically 50 plus i suppose but um that's just the way of the world i think it's it is it's just it's just the way, like we said earlier it's just the way things have gone um whether it will improve or whether anybody can think of a way to bring the younger people in i don't know if you can answers on a postcard please <laughs> yes send us your suggestions send us your suggestions it would be interesting actually when uh, when i have the tucson uh boys on uh what their take is on it i, I know that they've said basically yes. the same that you know they have a fairly active uh tucson mug um but again they you know their demographic is basically all over 50 so well that's that's very interesting because it means it's not just a uk thing no i i think it's i think it's pretty general um there we go right uh well i'll tell you what I think we should take a break for John Nemo himself to do his hardware store while you and I get a fresh cup of tea, Mark, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll have a we'll have a chat about the stories of the week. All right, lovely. Lovely. All right, uh, John, take it away. Three very practical items today here in the hardware store, and I am recording again on my iPhone because these are definitely items for getting out and about. First one comes from our friends at Hex, H-E-X. The website is Hexbrand, H-E-X-B-R-A-N-D, hexbrand.com. It's a backpack called the Hex Echelon, E-C-H-E-L-O-N, Hex Echelon Patrol Backpack. Cost $120 in the U.S., and they give you free return if you don't like it. But you will like it because it's a tech everything backpack. The one they sent me is a neutral gray, sort of an 18% gray, and it's slimline, so it's not particularly stocky when it's on your back, and it's very lightweight without anything in it, with good padded straps and a nice loop carrying handle on the top. But the best thing is two front pockets and several interior zip pockets in a couple of different zones will carry umpteen different computers and iPads and phones, chargers, headphones, ear pods, Lots and lots of compartments and a beautiful leatherette base for standing up straight when it's loaded. So it's slim, it's affordable, it's lightweight, but it's very ruggedly constructed. And like everything we've seen from Hex brand, it will last a really long time. So look at the specs on the website, on the show notes, 
and this week's episode of the Essential Apple Podcast, and you can see what it looks like. And it's a brand new product, so you won't be seeing a lot of reviews yet, but this is one item that I can definitely recommend for carrying your gear, plus some personal stuff. But basically, load this thing up with tech. And you can put a couple of books and a couple of sandwiches. It's just the right size, weight, quality, and capacity. Now, we talked last week about the iPad, and I'm going to stick with the topic of the 10.5-inch iPad Pro, the previous model of the iPad Pro, because I mentioned that you're going to want to put a glass protector on the front with certain cases. And so the one I can recommend is the Amfilm, A-M-F-I-L-M, tempered glass screen protector. Comes in a pack of two, costs $12 in the U.S. for a pack of two, so a very good deal. It's easy to stick to the front of your pad. The alignment is a little bit tricky, so take your time. Make sure you're nice and clean, no distractions. Don't be outside where it's dusty and windy. And then you may get a bubble or two, and then you just take your time and press those bubbles out. And the great thing is, even if you have a bubble in it, like I inadvertently left a bubble in the 10.5 iPad, and they do have it for lots of different products also. I left a bubble in there, and you can't even see that bubble when the iPad is in use. So you get two of them for $12. I wrote to the company. I explained about a problem I was having. Their customer service is outstanding and almost immediate. They responded so quickly with the problem I was having about the bubble and the alignment, straightened me out in one or two emails. Absolutely excellent product, great price, and fabulous customer support and customer service. Now, unlike the cases last week, if you want a super almost nothingness protective case for the back of your iPad, again, this is about the 10.5 Pro. They make these for all different products. The company is ESR, and it's called the ESR clear hard case for the iPad Pro 10.5, and it just covers the back. All the ports are exposed. It's just great. And if you want the minimalist protection, but still a good protection, you can put this on the back of your iPad or whichever device you get there, case four. Then you put the Amfilm on the front, and you've got very, very ultralight, ultra-slim protection. Now, I didn't want the see-through. I got the charcoal gray. I just thought it would be better long-term charcoal gray than the clear, but it looks really nice. I can recommend this from personal use. It's on the iPad right now. My wife is using it as we speak. So I'm going out for a stroll. I'm going to load up that hex pack, that hex echelon pack, and Mrs. Nemo is going to be padding away on the 10.5 using the ESR clear hard case and the Amfilm screen protector glass. You'll have the Amazon links for the last two not the company links. You get the company link for Hex, but the Amazon link for the other two products. That's it for Nemo's Hardware Store. Back next week. Thank you, uh, John. As ever, the links for those will be in the show notes. And uh, I haven't mentioned it for a while, so I suppose I should uh, mention it again in case anybody's not familiar. But if you want to buy something from Amazon, whether we've mentioned it on the show or not, please do us a favour, use our uh, affiliate link, and we should get a small kickback on anything you purchase. Uh, you can find that link in the show notes or on the website. Uh, right, having done that bit, uh, well, the uh, FaceTime, uh, group FaceTime, I must uh, point out, fix... Uh, 
has been shipped. Apple have released a fix for that. I think they pushed that out on Thursday. Um, they have agreed that they will reward the 14-year-old boy who discovered the bug. Um, I've got a link here to the Washington Post, but as usual, it's all over the web. Um, well done, Apple, I think, really. It's just, you know. Um, and they have also apologised for the fact that uh, his mother had to really struggle to report the bug. I think, in, in many ways, that's the most disappointing part of that story. Um, the fact that there was a bug in the group FaceTime calling. Um, well, bugs happen, don't they? Um, uh, I, I don't know about you, Mark, if you followed this story at all. I, I did think the most disappointing part was how difficult it was for the boy and his mother to get Apple to pay any attention. Yeah, it is ridiculous in this day and age when you consider that there is no such thing as a completely bug-free piece of software. It's it's all so complicated. Nobody can think of every possibility. So it is a shame that it, it was so awkward to get it get it through, get it reported. Having said that, once it was reported, it does look like Apple responded in a timely and responsible manner. Yes, I mean, you know, they did what they could. They shut down the group FaceTime calling. Um, you know, they they shut down the servers and whatnot, so the service was not available until a uh, a fix was pushed out. Um, I'm led to believe that uh, if you don't update, group FaceTime calling will still not work. So if you try and uh, do a group FaceTime call with an unpatched version, um, that will not be available. Um, and they've agreed to give the boy um, the bug bounty for finding it, which he's going to put towards his college fund, apparently, which is good for him. Um, yeah, that was the, the bit was that I know initially, apparently, they tried to report it by putting it on Twitter. and But apparently, you know, they they really went to town in, in, in so much as his mother actually signed up for a developer account, um, you know, which costs $100 with Apple in order to put in a bug radar i mean that was really not very good at all i mean you find a no, bug that, like that i admittedly i'm sure apple have bug reports flooding in and they have to chore through you know all of them to make sure are they reproducible are they um dangerous you know how important are they but at the same time you know it shouldn't have taken all that effort by the boy's mother to get apple to take notice of that bug um no it shouldn't Shouldn't that 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 was way too long? And uh, I believe Tim Cook has apologised and said that uh, they will have an internal review of you know how people can um, report problems to Apple. So there we go. Um, following on from that, Mark, uh, this one this one's probably everywhere as well. Uh, the one I've got in Wired. Uh, some teen hacker slash you know white hat, grey hat, call him whatever he is. Um, has allegedly um, found a uh, an exploit that allows yes. uh, the creation of a malicious app which can steal uh, can break into your keychain and steal your keychain items, which is very bad indeed. Um, it, it is bad um, if if it's actually possible. I haven't seen anything that proves it's been done yet. That doesn't mean it can't. Chances are it is genuine. Um, Microsoft have had this sort of issue for quite some time with all, all sorts of pieces of software. There's no way Apple are ever going to be immune from it. It's I think it's a much more secure system to start with, but these things will happen. 
I've got two minds on what's happening with this one, that the teenager is deciding he's not going to tell them how he managed to do it. Now, one aspect of that, I think, is he wants to be paid for it. Okay, I can understand that, especially if he's gone to some length to do it, but he needs to prove it. My concern with this is if it doesn't go through to Apple, and this is genuine, that the uh, the world's hackers and dare I say it, the world's nutters are going to look for this now and do yes. their damnedest to reproduce it. And they certainly won't be telling Apple in any shape or form. That's no. the danger. Um, as I understand it, um, this this um, he's an 18-year-old uh, German lad. Yes. Um, yes, he is. Uh, he, he found, he, apparently, according to Forbes, he found he could create an app that was able to read what was in the keychain without requiring explicit permission, um, which is very bad indeed, if it's true. Uh, mock malware did not require special privileges. Um, running a simple app is all that is required, he said. Um, how can the malicious ma- malware get onto the Mac in the first place? Well, all the usual ways, obviously. Uh, anyway. Yes. Uh, um, he um, is not disclosed to Apple how it's been done. Uh, he's released, apparently, a video showing it being done. Um and, and I believe another security expert has uh, examined it and said that, yes, it, it's real. Um, but we've only got their word for that, obviously. Yes. Um, and yes, he, apparently the reason that he's saying he won't share it is because there is no bug bounty for Mac OS. Um, I kind of see his point there, but I don't think he's going about it the right way. Um Either mm-hmm. attempting to blackmail Apple by saying, you know, give me money for this exploit or else. Um, Ultimately, he shoot himself in the foot with this because other people will look at it and there are bound to be like this other expert looked at it says, yes, it can be done. It does mean other people can look into it. And I'm sure that somebody will find it who's reasonable and tell Apple how it's done. Mm. Um, according, you know, according to this quote, it's like they don't care about Mac OS. He said, "Finding vulnerabilities takes time. I think that paying researchers is the right thing to do because we're helping Apple to make their product more secure." Okay, he wants to be paid for it. I kind of, I kind of get that, but I think the implication is what he's threatening is if you don't pay me for it, I'll find somebody who will. Um, Yes, and I'm pretty sure the, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people like the NSA who would be only too happy to bung him a wedge of cash for such an exploit, which is um, so all if in they all. D- I, if yeah. they don't already know about it. Yes, exactly. Um, so I, I don't really know how I feel about that. Um, I think overall he's probably being somewhat, um, well, selfish would be the obvious word and perhaps a little greedy. Uh, I, I, that said, I don't think it would be unreasonable for Apple to pay a bounty for finding serious bugs. You know, why, is, why, why is there a bug bounty for iOS, but none for, um, for the Mac, you know, and apparently it's not a, it's not a general, you have to be bloody invited onto the team. Apparently you can't just, you know, if you or I found a massive security hole, we wouldn't get paid for disclosing it. So there we are. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a, bit of a bad bad week for apple on that front unfortunately yeah, yeah it is i think apple should do the same on macOS that they do on ios they should not separate them out and say we'll do it for one but no nah, we won't bother with the other no definitely i i you know most other i mean microsoft and, and people like that i mean they have you know a verified uh you know bug bounty um lots of lots of uh 
you know big companies do for obvious reasons it's uh yes you know besides which if you if you don't if you don't and somebody finds something the temptation is always going to be to go on the you know the black market and see how much you can get um, yeah which is probably sell it to the highest, highest bidder. bidder yes with no no care whatsoever for the damage that might be done no. uh, there we go um Apple apparently is extending its chip prowess into 5G modems, according to iPad Insight and lots of other people. Um, the the background to this, Mark, being a slightly more something that you you know you enjoy, um, Apple is now working on developing its own 5G modems. It's not really can you know much of a surprise considering them and Qualcomm are bashing heads in courtrooms. At loggerheads, I think is the term. I think that is probably exactly the term. Um, According to Reuters, Apple has been working on 5G modem technology, but the early design efforts were handled by their supply chain unit. Um, This will now be handled by Apple's in-house hardware group responsible for the A-series of processors, um, which means they will be headed up by Johnny Saruji. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, The senior VP VP of hardware technology. Um, The man who joined Apple in 2008 and spearheaded the A-series development. Um, well, I, I don't think there's much surprise in this. Uh, in fact, no, in some ways, it's surprising they haven't done it before. Oh, absolutely. There's no surprise with this sort of thing at all. They are gradually pulling in more and more of their own hardware, which gives them a much better position in the market. They, they, it will get rid of this Qualcomm nonsense. If they produce their own, their own stuff, they're then independent of all the other people they can do their own thing no risk of somebody jumping up and down saying you didn't agree to this and you did agree to that and now you've gone back on it plus they can control the performance of it and because they design it it will be more tightly integrated with the rest of the system so it should benefit the rest of us in the long term as well the the main i think the main thing is you know how long is it going to take because obviously they're going to have to avoid infringing any of qualcomm's um patents um and possibly intels uh obviously though you know a lot some stuff is franned um but you know they've got a top team i mean let's face it the a series came from effectively nowhere and now runs rings around most other even arm processors so you know yeah they've they've got a world leading um team of... oh, they, oh they have the speed they've come out with some of the new chip designs is quite frankly amazing yeah, I mean, let's face it, they've been effectively ramping out a new generation every year. Yes. Um, which is almost unbelievable. So... No, I, I, sus- I suspect this modem hardware has been almost on the back burner for a number of years, and it's now got to the point where they've had to go, we need to do this, boys, and we need to finish it now. Yeah, and uh, they've obviously, as it said, been handled by the supply chain, so that probably means that, you know, they were working with outsiders, you know, outside contractors or whatever, and now they're saying we need to... You know, we need to concentrate on this. We're going to push it up to the top level. Yeah, yeah. They've got to bring it all the way in-house to, to get it moving properly now and to keep the lid on things that they don't want other companies to see. Yeah, exactly. If you're going to, de- if you're going to develop something like a modem from, you know, stat- stack from the ground up, you certainly do not want anybody else to know how you go about no, doing it. No. Um, that's deep, deep, deep secret. Yes. There we go. <laughs> uh, dear. Um. A billion users, allegedly. Um, Asimco, uh, uh, analysing some uh, of the figures that came out of uh, the um, earnings report. Uh, Horace Daydew, um, 
has said uh, the global active installed base for iPhone has reached an all-time high uh, at approximately 900 million devices. Um, yes. There are 360 million paid subscriptions across the services portfolio, um, and the installed base grew to 1.4 billion devices by the end of December. Um, what he's done here is, uh, you know, if you go to his, the page, um, he's plotted various um, growth figures. Uh, and basically he's saying, um, in May 2010, I made a prediction that Apple would reach a billion users in five to eight years. This was based on the first 100 million iOS users. Um, right now, this next sentence he's written doesn't actually make any sense. The company reached 1 billion active devices in a bit over five years and is about to reach 1 billion users <laughs> in eight years. Uh, I don't think that's what he meant to write. Uh, I th think he should have proofread it before he put that up. Yeah. Um, I think what he means is it reached a billion active devices in five years and um, a billion users in eight. But there we go. That, um, that's what makes sense, yeah. I think that's what he means. Um However, what it's basically, uh, you know, as he's pointing out, the, the 900 million iPhone number is the biggest clue because it's one of the yeah. few devices that effectively most people only have one of. Um, yes. And he's using that as a, uh, a, a way to calculate uh, the installed user base um, most accurately. So, uh, and growth, growth, it's still growing. He's predicting it will continue to grow. Um, and expects to see 2 billion users in, I forget what he said, but wherever. So, you know, uh, from an Apple user's point of view, good news. It's good news. And I, I think it's right, looking at the way things are going, looking at the way the market has been changing since since I've been in technology. And the iPhone in particular, we've, I've got clients who still wouldn't touch a Mac. Don't know why, but they wouldn't. But you'd never, ever take their iPhone away from them. No, that's, you know, um, I mean, I had, uh, I bought one of the first iPhones, an iPhone 1. Um, it wasn't immediately, uh, you know, the, the device it is now, but I think by the time I had an iPhone 4, it, uh, you know, I was already of the opinion that if push came to shove, I would give up my laptop before my iPhone. Um, yes, no, I, I jumped on the bandwagon. I waited. I'm one of these people, and I that waits a bit normally and i always advise all clients with something brand new comes out if it's business critical don't do it wait let the other poor suckers find the problems uh but the iphone i started off with the 3gs and i think it's about that point that it really was taking a hold it really gripped and it was it's a game changer it was an enormous game changer yes it was the, i think it was the 3gs that that did it i mean the the original iphone Obviously, there were no apps. Um, you know, it was still a, it was still a game changing device for for me. Um, changed me from a, a mobile phone hater to somebody who never went anywhere without their iPhone. Um, yes, but yes. It, it it was the three GS. I think was where it really took off. the 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 second iteration, the three G, obviously introduced three G because the first one was two G, which was a bit feeble. Yeah, that, that's where the data rate start went up, and it became. I would call usable. Prior to that, you was if you're trying to do anything data wise, you were still sitting there and waiting. Yes, and waiting, uh, waiting and waiting. But um, yes, the, the, the you know the you're right. The the iPhone as a game changer. That's you know, I mean, that constitutes as we could see there a good two thirds of the installed user base. 
Yes. It's, you know, 900 out of 1.4. Um, but it's, it's still growing. You know, iPads are still growing. Um, yes, there's a lot of boo-hoo-hooing at the minute about, um, you know, iPhone product cycles extending out and people keeping them longer. And, you know, I said on this show, um, in order to get the new XR, I had to take a three-year contract rather than the two-year contract, or at least to, you know, maintain my yes my payment rate. Um, yeah. I could have had a two-year contract if I wanted to pay more, but, you know, I'm quite happy at the level of cash I outlay per month. Yes. Um, and so I was almost effectively forced into a, a three-year contract. Um, I don't think Apple, despite a lot of boo-hooing, I, I don't think Apple are all that upset about that, really. The Wall, you know, Wall Street might be upset about it. Shareholders might get the hump about it. But Tim Cook has said on more than one occasion, you know, we run Apple for the long term. Yes. And I think the long term is, you know, you get you get more loyal customers by selling them something and saying, well, if you want to keep that for four or five years before you replace it, you go ahead. And uh, on top of which, by the way, you know, that's good for the planet, good for uh, reusability good for all sorts of reasons. Um, yeah, well, it, may, it makes for much happier users as well. If you, if you think that your device is going to be useless and obsolete in two years, do you really want to spend the level of cash we have to at the moment on them? And I think the answer for most people is no. I'm not. No. I'm not doing a two-year swap just because the thing's not going to do what it should do. No, I I would certainly not be happy to be paying in the you know in the region of a thousand pounds to have something which I think, well, I'm going to have to replace it in two years. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, mean, well, I, but... I have traditionally replaced my iPhone on a two-year cycle because that's basically, you know, if you're paying for the contract, there's no reason not to. That's the sensible thing to do. You keep your phone for two years and then you either sell it or give it to somebody else or whatever and get a new one. Um, but Yeah, my, my cycle has often been three to four years. Um, hmm. And there's no particular reason for it. It's just how it goes. Um, although having said there's no particular reason, normally when I'm looking at things is the way their product has changed. I've moved on a bit. I've looked at what the next one can do and decided, well, actually, it can't do enough over and beyond what the current one does for me to decide to go to the next one. So I wait a bit longer. And then when they've got two or three generations away, all of a sudden it's, well, actually, yeah, I can see that one now. I like what the new one can do. It's far enough away from the original one. I'll move on and then give the old one to an, a member of the family. Yeah, and I think that's very, you know, I, we've talked about it on this show a lot, and I'm pretty sure, yes. at, you know, Apple do plan for the for the long run. And as their user base is going up, I, I think that a lot of that is because people... Why are people to prepared to invest a thousand pounds or more into their phone? Because if they know, if, if if you say, well, I could get four years out of that and probably still sell it and get a reasonable chunk of change, which you can, you you are likely to consider that to be a good investment, and you will, yes. you build customer loyalty that way. And customer loyalty means ecosystem stickiness, and ecosystem stickiness means services money. Yes. You know, people get hooked in and then... You know, oh, yeah, I'd, we've I'd... definitely got, got people that have gone into Apple via the iPhone. They've got themselves an iPad and then they've got themselves a Mac. And then when somebody suggests, well, actually, this Android device will practically do what you want, but it's cheaper. And they, as soon as they start talking about, well, how do I move? Mm. It doesn't happen. It yeah. doesn't happen. They're, yeah. they're so wedded to the way the Apple just, in the main, just works 
the thought of moving to something else and struggling again uh, puts them off. Yeah, exactly. And I, I was reading, I read um, earlier today, I, I should have put it in the show notes, really. I read a, um, a little piece about um, somebody done an impromptu survey on Reddit, I think, which was, you know, as an Android user, you know, what, if any, features of uh, iOS, you know, do you envy? Um, and there was a, a, a fair selection. But um, interestingly enough, one of the top ones was the way that on the iPhone you can tap the header bar of any, you know, web page or Twitter or whatever and scroll back to the top automatically without having to, you know, manually. If you've scrolled a long way down a page, if you just tap the top of the page, you will scroll straight back to the top. That yeah. was apparently very, very uh, <laughs> something Android users really, a lot of them really wished they could have. Um, it's the little things. It is. And then, of course, the other ones that came up were, you know, iMessage, the, the way that iMessage works um, so well. Um, and uh, apparently the handoff features, the continuity slash handoff features. Yeah. Are, you know, something that um, uh, a lot of Android users say that they, you know, would really might be tempted to shift for. Well, it's it's the beauty of company like Apple, where everything is so well integrated. You're, you're not dealing with third, fourth and fifth parties and praying it might work if you're lucky. And one person makes a small change and everybody's breaks. Yeah. And of course, the other one that came up was, uh, you know, for a lot of Android users, unsurprisingly, uh, the, you know, the effectiveness of Apple's updates Um because unless you're, you know, unless you're very lucky and you're on a Pixel or a, you know, very top end device uh, from a specific set of uh, manufacturers, getting the updates to Android can be painful. It can. I, I've seen it. Uh, I've had to deal with it on occasions for people and I don't like it. No, it's, you know, that is Google say they're working on it, but um I don't know. It's, I don't think they're ever going to fix that because because they let it out for free to all and sundry. Um, you've got this weird way in which Android gets updated and then it goes out to the manufacturers who then, you know, reskin it and test it. And then they give it to the carriers who have to test it. And, you know, many, many devices just never yeah. get an update. It's, no, it's, there's too many layers. Um, I, I know Google have done... Um, They've done something to improve uh, security patches. Apparently, security patches can now be pushed out directly from Google. But um, actual OS updates, no, doesn't happen. There we are. Um, Well, Apple's retail chief, Angela Arendts, I think that's how he pronounced it. I know everybody seems to pronounce it differently, um, is leaving Apple in April. Um, This is all over the web, unsurprisingly. Um, It came as a bit of a surprise to uh you know came out of nowhere as it were um and interestingly enough she says that uh she's not got any explicit plans on what to do next she's going to um take the summer off apparently and uh, have a long holiday well why shouldn't she i don't blame her for that per se but that's um not normally how people leave companies like apple is it they tend to be you know going somewhere to do something um yeah they do tend to tend to want to do something else but it's not unusual for them to be there for a relatively small number of years, then move on. It's, it tends to be the nature of people at this level. Uh, they, yeah. It's very unusual for somebody at this level to stay for a long time. Very unusual. I mean, I know Apple does, um, you know, do quite well at ret- retaining, you know, high level 
staff often for many years. But um, we, we've seen, I mean, you get, we get, a, you know, these comes up two or three times a month. It will say, you know, top iOS uh, engineer leaves to go to uh, Google to work on uh, Fuchsia or, you know, top AI man from Google comes to Apple to work on Siri yeah. or, yeah. you know, battery tech goes to Tesla or whatever. And I, I think, um, I think like you, I, I don't think there's a great deal to be read into that. I, I, think I don't it, think there is. I think a lot of people at that very top level, you know, people who work, who are, I don't know, you know, if you're in the best, if you're in the, you know, te- 10 top best chip planners in the world you can go wherever you want to do whatever you want yes um and apple have a very good chip team and they obviously consider that they must consider that to be a very exciting and challenging job and and nobody wants to leave it but you know yeah if you're if you're the google ai man and apple say you know would you like to come and work with us and we will give you a free hand to help um you know, build out Siri, that might seem like oh, that's a very interesting challenge because it would be a very interesting challenge. I'm pretty sure that people who work at that level, the money is not actually that important. You know, if you if you're getting paid twenty five million a year or something, then does it make any difference if Google offer you thirty million, you know, or you go to a job that only pays a mere twenty million? Um I think you might be able to tighten your belt and manage. Um, yeah, I don't think it will take much tightening. No, I think, uh, you know, people who work at that level go where they want in order to seek um, yes. challenges, you know, yes. and stimulation. Yes, they're going, they're moving on because of what they want to do and what they think they can do at this place. And it's going to be more interesting. Um, some of them will do it because they want to make a bigger name for themselves as if they haven't made a big enough name anyway. But as you say, the, the money, the finance side of it, for most of them, no. It doesn't add up. No, I'm. Um, there's been some speculation. You know, did she leave or was she pushed? And there's this, you know, people writing things like Apple's retail is at a crossroads. Uh, sorry, you, you what? No. <laughs> you, what have you been to an Apple store? You know, the places are often rammed to the gunnels. Um, you know, there's people saying, oh well, if you go there when there's not a new release, there's nobody there. Uh, I don't think you've been in an Apple store recently, then, pal. Um. And I think, you know, she's achieved what she set out to do, to be honest. She's, um, you know, remade Apple's retail stores in, um, you know, a different image. Yes. And I suspect now she feels that she's done that. It's time to move on and do something else. Go yes. somewhere else. Yeah. I don't have a, have I, a break while you find something else. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think it's a case of, yeah, bye, Angela. Thanks for all the beans. No, I don't think it is. I I think we'd be seeing an awful lot more um, or actually probably a lot less, certainly from people like Tim Cook. Yes. There was a problem. I mean, Tim Cook said something. I didn't uh, read it explicitly, but something along the lines of, you know, thanks for all your great work, Angela. And, you know, it's been a pleasure and we wish you all the best and all that sort of thing. That's that's not when not what happens when people like, you know, get ousted when Forstall or whatever were ousted. They were sent on gardening leave and told to make those statements for, you know, 18 months or something. Yeah. Um, no, I think this is simply a case of uh, saying, well, I've, I've, I've done what I need to do and I don't think there's anything else for me to do here. Take it. Well, I, th- I think, 
I think the te- the telling paragraph from CNBC was, uh, and I'll just read it out, is in an interview with Vogue Business published late last month, Arendt said a part of her still missed fashion, but she was pulled to Apple by the work it was doing at the time. Well, there you go. Yes. So I personally think that sums it up. Yeah. She's gone there with a th- thinking, right, I think I can, you know, improve their already fantastic uh, ret- retail. Um, and now she feels she's done it. And there's no, there's no yeah. more to be no more to be said on the matter, really. No. I think she, you know, someone else may change the, the, the mix or do it differently. But I think she feels that she's fulfilled the challenge and now it's time to move on to something else. I think that's very yeah. much how these people work. And um, I mean, following on from that, we've got the cult of Mac here. HoloLens creator leaves Apple AR headset team. Well, he left the Microsoft HoloLens team to come and work with Apple on their alleged AR headset, and now he's um, moving on. So, I mean, I think that pretty much says exactly the same yeah. thing. Um, he's moved on. He's done what he could at Microsoft. He's come across to Apple and said, okay, that's it. I've done my bit here. Now, yeah, marching uh, on again. Yeah, I, I, I suspect, um, what does it say here? This is on the cult of Mac. Um, Avi Barzeev uh, was working on... Uh, a secret, almost certainly a project to for Apple's AR glasses. Um, working for Microsoft in 2010, Barzeev developed the HoloLens initial concept, first demos and architecture. Um, and then, obviously, he's come to... Uh, he spent four years at Amazon after he left Microsoft. Then he was hired by Apple uh, to lead experience prototyping typing team for a new effort to develop key prototypes, to rapidly prove concepts, explore, educate, and build support. Um, yeah, when, when you look at what he's done before, if you look at each stage he's got, each company has gone through, he's an ideas man. He doesn't bring anything to the market. He does proof of concept, does some development on it. I think he then, once he's got people pointing in the right, right direction, he moves on to the next one. Yeah, um, as it says here, uh, his LinkedIn profile indicates he stopped working at Apple last month and he told Variety, I left my full-time position at Apple in January. I had the best exit one can imagine. I have only nice things to say about Apple and I will not comment on any specific product plans. Um, yeah, you can see very much. He's, he's, um, he's a development guy. He's, yeah. he's the, you know, right, This what do you want to do? You want to make AR glasses, right? This is, the, this is where we start. This is how we go about building that. This is how you get it to work. Right, there you go. There's a framework. I'll leave the rest of it to you, boys. Yeah. He's a prototyper, basically. That seems mm. very much what he does. And, the, the, again, I suspect he's at the top of his field. He's very much sought after, and he's done what he feels he needs to do, and now he's off to look for another challenge. Yes, he's now off to go and play somewhere else with some more new ideas. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, popular iPhone apps. This is another t- sort of semi-security story, really. This one, Mark. Popular iPhone apps were secretly recording your screen for an- analytics purposes, um, and this included, uh, you know, people like Hotels.com and yeah, Ex- Expedia as well. Expedia and Air Canada and a, a, a whole bunch of people. Um, not quite sure how this came to light. Um, apparently, that some people were using a thing called Glassbox. Um, multiple, yes, thank you for that pop-up. Multiple popular iPhone apps from major companies are using an intrusive analytics service that captures detailed data like taps, swipes, screen recordings without knowledge. Uh, TechCrunch uh, apparently broke this story. Um, yes, we've got uh, Abercrombie and Fitch. 
I'm not quite sure who they are, but I've heard the name. We've got uh, Expedia, we've got Air Canada. Um, yes, the glass box does not require its customers to mention the usage of the screen recording feature in their privacy policies. Um, so that's to me, that's wrong to start with. Yeah. And anything that has to do with um, privacy should should be mentioned. You should have the option. Yeah, uh, and it says here with no way to detect this is going on. Customers, all customers can do is refuse to use the apps and services of companies which are found to be engaging in shady analytics and tracking purposes without a clear privacy policy. Um, I'm not quite sure how this came. Like, t- as it says there, Tech Tech uh, Crunch apparently broke the story. Um, but subsequent to that, uh, Apple have promptly said uh, app developers must disclose or remove screen recording code. Uh, again on Tech Crunch. So Apple have basically said, don't do that or else. Stop it. Thank you. Um, app developers are being told to remove or properly disclose their use of analytics code, which allows them to record how a user interacts with their phones. Uh, an Apple spokesperson has said, protecting user privacy is paramount. Our App Store review guidelines record that apps request explicit user consent. Yes, which is the right way to do it. It's These people are trying to bypass the system. Yeah. Um, we have notified developers in strict violation of these privacy terms and guidelines, and we will take immediate action if necessary. So there we are. Uh, so they've been found out. This is the sort of thing that we're going to get more and more of, I'm sure, Mark. You know, this whole yes, we will. bloody surveillance capitalism malarkey. Yeah. Um, and this is, I'm pretty sure, why Tim Cook is, you know, beginning to position Apple's privacy stance as a selling point. Um Okay, well that's 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 about it for Apple stories. Um, sort of, uh, we're sort of following on from that. I guess we could have a quick look at some uh, security stories. Uh, Microsoft has said they do not want you to use Internet Explorer anymore. Thank you very much. Um, yes. qu- quite right. Um, I, I, it shouldn't really be news. Somebody seems to be thinking it's some kind of um, weird thing for them want to do, to want to do. But you know, Internet Explorer is what. Five years out of date now, at least I think it's it's a long way out of date. Um, and a, some versions of Internet Explorer simply won't work with some sites anymore. No, um, which is a good thing because it's all security linked. Yeah, Microsoft really doesn't want you to use Internet Explorer anymore. Microsoft call it a compatibility solution, not a browser. Um, okay, apparently Microsoft killed off Internet Explorer four years ago. Uh, choosing Edge as its modern browser for Windows 10. Internet Explorer lived on as plumbing for Windows and business compatibility, but Microsoft doesn't support it with any new web standards. It is legacy code. So Yeah, I, c- I can tell you why they why Internet Explorer still exists for some people. Um, when you look at some of the car manufacturers, the service manuals that they supply to their dealers quite often use Internet Explorer um, and the ActiveX controls that go with it. Without that, they can't view the service manuals properly. Yeah. Um, one would hope that at some point they will produce manuals which use something which doesn't rely on a particular platform. But beyond that, yeah, it's dead. Um, Internet Explorer should not be used anymore, and it shouldn't have been used for several years. No. It's just, uh, Internet Explorer 11 uses an enterprise mode so that IT admins have to add the sites they want to use old versions of web standards with. Internet Explorer is a compatibility solution, not a browser that a business should be using day-to-day or for web browsing. There we go. 
Um, yeah. I, I, I put that in because uh, it seems to be tout being put around as if it's some sort of like, wow, you know, Microsoft are telling us one of their own products is no good. No. No, they've been telling, telling us that, that for years. I mean, yes. the minute they brought out Windows 10, I think they said you should all use Edge. Yes. Um, whether you think Edge is a good browser or not is another matter um, altogether. Um, and then, of course, uh, the latest version of Edge is now based on a different engine to the original Edge. So um, there we go. Um, no, you should stick to, you know, we should all stick to good modern browsers. Um, lots of people, you know, cite Chrome. I personally say I wouldn't touch Chrome with a barge pole. Um, there we go. I Obviously, I use um, Safari most of the time. Um, my other two favourite fallbacks are uh, Vivaldi um, and Clicks. Uh, very much Clicks now, um, which is part of the ghostry um, suite. There we go. It is very good, actually. I really like Clicks a lot. Um, if it wasn't for the whole in eco-net, uh, ecosystem stickiness, I would probably be using Clicks as my primary browser. <laughs> but um, there are reasons I use Safari, and that is to do with the Apple, um, yeah, handoff and so on. Um, right, uh, creepy incidents with Nest cameras prompt password warning uh, from the Independent. Guess what? Uh, people not setting decent passwords on their internet uh, exposed, you know, internet of s things um, is causing trouble. Um, again, something we're going to see a lot more of, I'm pretty sure. Uh, there's some pretty creepy stories in this. Um, you know, somebody hearing a man, you know, uh, watching and or speaking to a small child in the nursery, that sort of thing. Um, secure your stuff, people. You yeah, this this is, in a funny way, this is not new. It may be new for Nesta to come up with it, but it's it's not a new problem. It's a very, very old problem. People out there, you must change your passwords. You must not leave the default password on a device that's connected to the internet. It's so easy to guess a default password. There are, there are certain ones that the vast majority of manufacturers use. It doesn't take many seconds for anybody to guess what it is. Once they've got it, not only can they get in and do something horrible, they can then change that password on that device to whatever they want. Mm. So you can't get in. You'd need to factory reset it and pop a sensible password in. But this, like we said, this is not new. This is old. You've out, people out there. You have got to change the password. Uh, yeah, you have very much, very much so. Um, you know, more and more the, you know, we're being told over and over again. You know, use a password manager. Um, you know, don't reuse sites, and uh, you know, don't reuse your your passwords across sites. Um, and this, you know, this stuff get does get tedious and it gets difficult. You need to use a password manager. Um, I rely very heavily on, um, you know, the Apple iCloud keychain. Um, As do I. It's not, you know, I'm told it's not necessarily the best, but it's there. It's free and it works. It will generate secure passwords for you. It will remember them for you. Um, it will port them across all your Apple devices for you. Um, very much so. It. it we were talking last week, obviously, about, you know, the Internet of troublesome things. Um, and most of it comes down to the cheap stuff is insecure and rubbish. And uh, even people who buy better stuff like Ring or Nest or whatever, often don't don't secure them properly. Um, plus, of course, you know, with these collections one through five dumping however many billion credentials, um, 
credential stuffing is a, becoming a huge problem, um, which relies on the fact that lots of people may come up with a complicated password, but then they use it everywhere, um, yeah. which is very foolish. Yes. It, it's just it's almost as bad as leaving the default password because what people fail to realise is once they've got that password from one site, the hacker or whoever happens to be trying it will try that same password at everything else they know you go to. Yeah, um, and unfortunately, you know, these, these leaks are endless. These breaches are endless. I mean, I, I don't yes. even bother to, you know, uh, note them down anymore, but I think uh, Mum's Net had a data breach this week. Um, you know, Marriott Hotels had a breach. Several um, airlines have had breaches. This is all recent stuff, you know, within the last month or so. Yes. Um, never mind, you know, never mind the huge collections being dumped. Um, so there we go. Uh, talking of which, I will just jump forward then to uh, Worth a Chirp. Um, and that is because I am, I am going to experiment with a, pass, a password manager called Password Boss um, for iOS and Mac. Uh, it has a free level available. There is a, a, a paid higher tier, which adds some extra features. But I'm going to try that out and see how I get on with that. Um, you know, other password managers are available. Um, popular ones, of course, being 1Password, uh, LastPass, uh, Dashlane, um, many of which, uh, you know, all of which I believe is subscription-based. So, you know, I have a slight problem with that, really, um, because you've got to keep paying to have your service maintained i don't know is that is that unfair i don't know it, it just depends some of them are quite expensive though that's my problem yeah yeah i i i'm not a fan of the subscription model i i can understand why they do it from a business point of view uh it's a no-brainer it, it's a consistent money maker for the individual i and even from my point of view i i don't like subscriptions i'd like to know that if i'm going to buy something i'm going to pay for it once and that's it. The only time I'd accept I have to pay for it again is if, if there is a major release of the product, a new version of the product, which gives me a lot more than the old one did. What I don't want to see is my current version of whatever I've purchased being made obsolete. So I'm forced to buy the new one. Yeah, that's that's um, that's also true. I the only thing I, I you know, the only thing I effectively uh, personally pay a subscription for is. Uh, my Proton Mail and Proton VPN. Um, I I'm not really a big fan of subscriptions either. But then th that's an ongoing service, isn't it? You know what I yes, mean. Yes, it is. And I I feel I don't know why. In some ways, I feel that because that's a service, it's okay to pay for that. Um, you know, on an ongoing basis. Well, um, I, I would agree with that. When you consider your broadband as a service, you subscribe to that. That that sort of thing. That they are services. You want them ongoing. Uh, it, but I think it's different when you want to purchase or you want to get hold of a particular item, be it hardware or software. I want to pay for it once and be done with it. Mm. So anyway, there there we are. So I'm trying out Password Boss. Um, I, I have looked at several of the others, but yeah, I guess I would not feel so bad about paying a subscription for some of them if they didn't actually add up to quite a lot of money. Um, particularly where often you have to pay one subscription for uh, the Mac and one for iOS. Um, and if you're an Apple user and, and you know you're making use of both platforms, that can actually become really quite expensive. Yes. Um, you know, I, I I I don't know. I'm not really sure. I feel that it's fair to be charging you twice for a password manager on two different platforms. Um, 
there we go. That's my personal take. I'm anybody, you know, I know lots of people who swear by one password. They think it's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, and if you're happy to do that, that's absolutely fine. Um, there we go. I'm going to try out password boss. Uh, lots of others are available as we say. Um, while we're on the worth of chirps, um, Donnie, Donnie Yankalo has found another freeware winner. Um, this is called Recasto uh, on the App Store. Um, apparently, he converted 72 JPEGs into PDF files in two seconds using this freeware app. Um, I believe it also... That's it, uh, Yes, it's convert PDF to images or images to PDF. Um, so if you're into that, you might want to look into that. It's called Recasto. Link in the show notes, of course. Um, well, backtracking a little, um, Mark, uh, we've got, uh, I've got, I'm just going to mention this rather than discuss it. Uh, what does consent tracking really mean? Uh, this is on the Malwarebytes blog. Um, it's a good read. It's quite long. Um, it basically points out the difference between what most people think they're consenting to when they click, you know, I accept you, uh, you know, doing a certain amount of tracking when you go to a site and uh, what it often actually tracks, which is usually a lot more than you might be aware of. Um, so that's worth a read if you're interested in finding out what a lot of sites actually mean when they say, do you consent to us tracking you? Um, and then, uh, oh, this was this was a good one. This was a good one, wasn't it, Mark? This, this caught our attention. Tokyo has succeeded in its plan to make the 2020 Olympic medals out of recycled gadgets. Um, I've got a link to The Verge here. I believe there's um, The Guardian had a piece on it as well. Um, on the surface, what you know, we're going to make the medals out of recycled gadgets. Um, yeah, <laughs> what, you know, crushed up plastic and glass, when they going to be some sort of weirdo things. No, Tokyo uh, Organising Committee for the 2020 Olympic and Paralympic Games has announced it is expecting to meet targets for a plan to make the athletes' medals from discarded electronics. Uh, there were huge levels of support from the public and companies across Japan and from national and international athletes, which resulted in municipal uh, authorities collecting about 47,500 tonnes of e-waste, um, including apparently more than 5 million disused phones handed in at NTT stores. Uh, collection stations were placed in post offices and public buildings. Um, the committee's target of 2,700 kilos of bronze was met last June. 93.7% of the 30.3 gold target and 85.4% of the 4,100 kilo silver target had been extracted by October. Um, there we go. Uh, based on the number of devices which have been collected, the Tokyo 2020 committee says there will be enough material to reach their goal. Uh, the programme will end on March 31st and the Olympic and Paralympic uh, medal designs will be revealed in the summer. And they're all going to be made from precious metals recovered from e-waste, which is fantastic. I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's uh, recycling in the extreme. Yep. It looks... I don't know who had the original idea, but I personally think it's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, five million disused phones. But it also goes to show, doesn't you, just how much stuff is actually recoverable from these. Yes. Yeah. Mm. It's it's a good way of showing people just, yeah, just how much um, metals and how much 
precious things are in the phones and can be reused. It's not just, well, you can't do anything with that because look how small it is thrown away. No. They really do recover the metals from them. I mean, we've got, so here we've got gold, silver, bronze, and then we know, of course, that they contain lots of other, um, you know, rarer metals as well, gallium and, and things like that. Um, yes. All sorts of rare earth metals and weird and wonderful um, material, all of which, of course, is expensive to um, get in the first place um, and often, you know, quite harmful to the environment if just dumped back into the ground in its raw state. Yes. So, um, you know... Hats off. Hats, hats off. off to Tokyo. Um, in fact, that would be... Uh, do you know what I would think? I would like to see um, perhaps the International Olympic Committee make some sort of commitment to do that going forward, you know, on a regular basis, that uh, yeah, Olympic well, medals are always made out of recycled e-waste. It would make perfect sense. Um, Tokyo have proved it can be done. Yeah, very much so. Um well, whether they do or not is, a, a, you know, a whole different kettle of fish. But hats off there to the Tokyo committee and everybody, of course, who generously handed in their e-waste. Um, I think that is, that is a great story. Um, and as, as you say, you know, it's a brilliant, um, a brilliant consciousness raiser. Yes, um, yes. Some, somebody had to actively decide to do this. This wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing, was it? No. They've obviously, you know, come up with this idea. Um and it's great that they've, you know, they've achieved their target or almost achieved their target, um, you know, much of it ahead of time. Um, and yeah, I guess it's a, a big way to promote, you know, don't chuck your old electronics away and don't just put, put them in a drawer and have no idea what to do with them. Do, do go to, you know, put them in the, if they're dead or broken or whatever, do take them somewhere where you can put them in the e-waste recycling because they do actually get recycled. Yes. That's the other thing, isn't it? I think a lot of people will wonder if they're just being bilked, as it were, by, you know, take your e-waste and put it in this bin in the, you know, in the BT shop or whatever. Does it actually get recycled or do they just yeah. put it in a big skip and tow, tow it away, you know? And, um, and dump it with the rest of the waste, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm always a little bit wary. I mean, I put I put a lot of my stuff, you know, um, I'm fairly uh, active in, you know, recycling my hope you know, my home waste to the metal and the paper and the plastics yes. and whatnot. Um, but I do often look at my, you know, my recycling bin as they take it to tip it in the back of the truck. And I wonder how much of that is actually recycled or if it just goes somewhere where they sift sort of 70% of it out and put it back in the black truck and take it down the landfill anyway. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I'd like to hope... I'd like to hope that that's not what happens, you know, but you never know, do you? You're never sure how much of it is actually uh, recycled. There we go. Um, well, the other story, um, Spotify has bought Gimlet and Anchor to ramp up its podcast game. Um, that's a bit inside baseball, that one. Um, well, it is what it is. Um, Gimlet, apparently, I've never heard of Gimlet. Um, Neither had I. No, but apparently they're a pod. Uh, a podcasting platform of some note um and anchor anchor a service who produce um a kind of all-in-one podcasting solution slash hosting for beginners um much like uh opinion or uh what's the other one uh there's several there are several who do that who will basically provide you with a, a tool that will allow you to record your podcast and uh you know edit it and host it uh, for whatever. Um, I'm not sure what I feel about that, actually. Um, I mean, this podcast goes out on Spotify. Um, 
because our host allows us to send it to Spotify. The fact that Spotify introduced that, I guess, would indicate that they're trying to get a, a foothold in, a, a, you know, with podcast listeners. Um, yes. It's a good thing in some ways. If the, the downside would be if Spotify start trying to um, corral content on their on their platform. Um, I could see them trying to get big, you know, big podcasters, um, quote unquote, to to their platform and sign exclusivity deals. So, you know, only available on Spotify, which would be a bad thing. It would be a very bad thing. It's uh, it's too limiting. Yeah. Um, and would, you know, have end up, end up breaking up um, podcasting into sort of, you know, at the moment, everybody seems to agree that it's fair. You know, if you do a podcast, you can stick it, you can place it a whole load of places. Um, this this podcast obviously goes on to, it goes to iTunes, uh, you know, it, it goes out to Overcast and all the other podcast people from there. Um, it's on uh, Google Podcasts, which I think it only works in America, but uh, it goes there, you know. Um, I put it on Spotify because I can. Um, yes. There we go. Uh, um, yeah, it, 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 there's been a lot of to and fro about this. I, I don't know. It's too early to tell, in my view. Um, I'm not going to castigate Spotify. I mean, they're a business. They're absorbing some smaller companies in order to up their um, penetration into into podcasting. Um, that could be a very good thing. It could help, uh, you know, raise more people's awareness of podcasts, or it could turn into a quite bad thing. Uh, Unfortunately, I think it's one of those where we're going to have to do a watch this space. I think you're right, Mark. I think that will very much be a watch this space. Um, and also, apparently, Spotify will soon be banning accounts which use ad blockers. Um, I can understand that when you... Yeah, I'm not... They're doing that for the free users, but not for the subscribers. I Well, I think the point is, if you subscribe, you don't get any ads, do you? You don't. So you wouldn't need one. And to be honest, I, I don't disagree with this. I, I don't. Um, I mean, I use ad blockers on the web, you know, um, to keep most of the crap out of the way. Um, and yes, I'm sorry if some people feel that that's, you know, uh, robbing people of their income. But advertisers have kind of done it to themselves, in my view. They've been so egregious oh. that most people cannot stand the adverts. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you come across some websites where there's almost more adverts than there is content, and that's yes, you do. That's what winds people up. Yes, it is, and often, you know, sometimes very egregious adverts that pop up and play videos and do all sorts of things, which are intensely annoying. Um, so, but in this case, you know, you're listening to the music on Spotify for free, and the dealies they you play you ads. Yeah, they play you ads, and as you can see from the last looking at the news they've got on here. One of their statements is that those ads plus its 96 million paying subscribers helped Spotify record the first profit in its 13-year history last quarter. Without those ads, they yeah. would not be making a profit yet. Well, no. And to be honest, I don't find the ads, not that I'm a big Spotify user because I'm not. Um, in fact, I don't use Apple Music. I don't really use Spotify. Uh, for the occasional times I want to listen to a bit of music, I tend to go to Amazon um, you know, Amazon Prime music because I get that chucked in with my Amazon account. So why would I not use that? But um, but, yeah, well, I and I tend to use the Apple music, so I don't deal with Spotify. But I do know my older son uses Spotify. I've heard the music in the garage sometimes. And all of a sudden there'll be a few seconds worth of an advert, you know, not 
not in the middle of the music, but between some tracks. And it's only some tracks. It's not like you've got music, add, music, add. No, it plays. It's music, 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 add. It's I no mean, worse. I like adverts, but I wouldn't complain about that when I'm getting a free service. No, nor would I. And it's no worse. It's certainly no worse than in most commercial radio stations. Um, That's tr- true. You know, I, I quite often listen to uh, Planet Rock or sometimes... Um, you know, absolute eighties, uh, which all come out of the same stable, by the way. Um, yes. And you know, they play 12, 15 minutes of music and then there's an ad break and a couple of ads. Um, yeah. Why well, that's no worse than watching ITV. That's no different to listening to commercial radio. Spotify ads are very much the same. Um, and if you're getting something for nothing, yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. I mean, what are you going to do by blocking out the ads? Get 30 seconds of silence. I mean, is well, it... absolutely <laughs> the the ads are not you know they are not um intrusive in my mind if you listen to spotify you get some tracks and then you get a couple of ads and then you get more music it's just like listening to the radio really so no uh in this case i i'm fully with spotify i think that's fair enough i, I would agree i'm with i'm with you i'm with them as well yeah um not normally um and I think oh, pretty much it was just the last story that we were looking at, Mark, before we wrap up, I think. Um, cyber security, funding to take academic ideas to market. And this was on uh, Gov UK. Um, it actually, yes, a weird, a weird thing, isn't it? This It's not quite what it appears to be, but... Um, no, it's not. Um, it says it's here... It's actually a competition. Yeah, it says uh, researchers based in UK academic institutions can apply for a share of up to 800,000, which, you know, it's not exactly, I know it's not small beer, but it's not big money, um, to support them in commercialising cybersecurity innovations. Uh, The UK claims to be the best place in the world to do business online. The government's national cybersecurity strategy sets out a plan for the country to be secure. Apparently, this is, in fact, a competition, as you said, Mark. Uh, the Department for D- Digital Culture, Culture, Media and Sport. That's a bloody mouthful, isn't it? Um, work, it's a strange thing to mix together as well, isn't it? Digital it is. Culture, Media and Sport. Anyway, be that as it may, that's the government. They love to make up stupid departments. Uh, working with Innovative UK has up to 800,000 to help academics accelerate and take to market ideas for improving cybersecurity. Uh, the competition is designed to increase the number of ideas from UK academic research turned into businesses. Um, okay. A previous competition saw seven teams progress through three-month market validation phase to establish new ventures and build work prototypes. Um, well, it's a competition. There's Apparently, there's going to be two phases, and uh, we it says here, we expect total project costs to range between £5,000 and £32,000. And researchers could get up to 100% of their eligible project costs. Um, well, it seems that depends on how viable the project is. Mm, uh, or, yes, how, how um, speculative. So there you go. You could get up to, apparently, if you're an academic working in cybersecurity and you have a brilliant idea, uh, you can enter this competition and get up to £32,000 to help you turn it into a business, apparently. Slightly odd one, that, I have to say. Um yeah, it is a slightly odd one. It's uh, almost strikes me as a dragon's den of cybersecurity. Yes, yes, it's a bit like that. It's like really uh, there we go. Anyway, interesting. Uh, 
there we go. That is pretty much all of the stories, I think, Mark. I think we've done them all now. Um, I think. And we've been going sort of the regulation amount of time. So uh, this is where we wrap up. Uh, what I normally do is ask you to uh, promote yourself uh, and or any other causes you wish to uh, bring to the fore. Right. Um, yes, if you've got any uh, Mac-related issues or also other computer issues, as we deal with both Macs, Unix systems, and the dreaded word, as we'd say, Windows, please give us a call. Um, our website is, I'm sure, in, in the notes. It is. It is indeed, yeah. You can find us there. Once you've got hold of us, give us a call. We come out to you. We do not expect people to bring um, a 27-inch iMacs up to our workshop. Quite often, it's not necessary. It's why we come out. And many a person's back has been saved by us doing a on-site visit. Um, as for causes, um, if anybody's feeling flush, uh, one cause we often like to help is the uh, St Elizabeth Hospice at Ipswich, uh, where my niece was looked after for a year or so while she was uh, suffering from cancer. So if anybody's got po deep pockets, got any money you want to give away, they are trying to put a new building up specifically for young people. So they are heavily, heavily searching for money now. OK, well, I'll put that in there for you, Mark. I'll put a link. I'll dig, up their, I'll dig up their website and uh, put a link. There we go. Um, and you are on the Twitters as at Suffolk Max, by the way, aren't you? Not that you tweet yes. much. You don't tweet much, but, you know. Not an awful lot, but hardly ever think to look at it, unless I'm in the middle of a rant. <laughs> well, there we go. Um, I am, of course, on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. The show is at Essential Apple. Um, all our stuff is, of course, over at EssentialApple.com. And uh, I think that's about it. Oh, if you'd like to join us in the Slack room, follow the link in the show notes, uh, and then you will be admitted to the inner sanctum of the Slack room. <laughs> uh, and I think that's probably about it. So I think what we'll do then, Mark, is we'll all say goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club podcast, the geekiest show ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Arizona is never late, Frederick Beggins, or the early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 
and usually listening to the Tech Fan Podcast with Tim Robertson and David Cohen, part of the Stoplight Network. Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.